Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Chris. And those verses from the Bible, you may have heard them before, you may never have heard them before, of just how expansive and complete God's love for us in Jesus is, are important to hang on to when particularly life uh, is hard or difficult. So you might want to really hear that from Chris. And if uh, you want to hear it more clearly, then I'm sure Chris will be delighted to talk to you over a coffee afterwards. Maybe even show you, you can take one of our church's Bibles home with you. Chris will highlight that passage and fold the page down. And that could be a really important thing um, for you to um, have. Um, If anything, by the way, just as a slight aside, if anything this morning that's been said, sung or done is a bit strange or unusual to you, um, like it was me when I first came into church, not that many years ago, really, and found lots of the things slightly odd, um, including the group karaoke uh, uh, and that, that kind of stuff. And do just talk to anyone you've seen up the front. There's Johnny's been here, Riri's been here. My name's Alex, Chris, uh, uh, who's one of our leaders, uh, that hence it could step to the front and just read that. Just have a word with us, because we'd love to help you understand what the logic behind it is. Uh, right at the heart of it, actually, is about helping one another know how much God does love us, even if you've never thought like that, even if you think that's crazy language that God really does love us. What we're going to do now is have a little look at the Bible and uh, one of the things you'll discover particularly if you're not used to the Bible being taught or you need to remind yourself because you've heard it taught so often you've forgotten this is though it was written a few thousand years ago it resonates so loudly and so clearly to us today. So if you have a Bible there why don't you find what's called Hebrews Hebrews, uh, which is not a request for a cup of tea. It's the name of a place in the Bible. Um, Hebrews uh, It's on page 1203. If you're in one of these churches Bibles, you can find it on your phone. Um, if you need the Wi-Fi code, then it's around the place and you can uh, get it up on your phone if you need um, from BibleGateway.com um, or you can borrow one of the Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, Stuart will bring you one. Now, thank you, Stuart. So you can just put a hand up and Stuart will bring you one. This is page 1203. And we're in a section, a paragraph, we just work our way through in paragraphs, uh, which is numbered 12 to 15, uh, middle of the left-hand column of page 1203. Uh, Let me read it to you, and then we'll see what it has to say to us this morning. I'll give you you the punchline now. It's all about how we are called to be herd animals. We're called to work together, be a community, love each other. Friendship is so important, that sort of thing. I read something a few days ago, or a few weeks ago now it was, that apparently the average man in the UK has 1.8 friends. I don't quite know what a point eight of a friend is. Like, I love you, but not your left leg. I don't, I don't know what that means. But it's not very many. Whatever it means, it's not very many, is it? And actually, this is about the importance of friendships, of, of togetherness, of community, um, of relationships uh, in human life and in Christian life. Let me read what it says. Sentence 12, midway of that left-hand column, page 1203. Oh, chapter 3. Did I not give you that key piece of information? I do apologise. Chapter 3 of Hebrews uh, and sentences 12 to 15, page 1203 in the church's Bibles. It says this. See to it, brothers and sisters. That's us lot in the room. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That turns away from the living. Not, Not the ancient God or the dead God. The living God, that means he's alive today. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, and then he quotes from an older part of the Bible, a poem from about a thousand years earlier. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Uh, Let me just first, we're going to unpack the whole paragraph. It's going to take me about 25 minutes. Let me first just show you that in sentence 14, if you see it there. Do you see where it says, hold our original conviction? Literally, hold fast or hold on. Now, if you look back a little bit, back to sentence 6, you'll see exactly the same kind of language used. Hold firmly to our confidence. The whole point of this big section is about when life is difficult, when, the, when forces kind of threaten to pull your hands off of Jesus. Some of those forces can be hard things. Some of those forces can be good things. Uh, becoming wealthy can really pull your hands away from Jesus or maybe prevent you getting your hands on Jesus. If you're, if you're you know, um, handsome and wealthy and have a nice car and everything's going well, that force can really smash your hand away from Jesus, can't it? So whatever the forces are, hold fast. Some of you were here a few weeks ago, weren't you, when I told, told you about uh, my silly antics in Hong Kong Harbour, where a group of us challenged the driver of that triple jet motored speedboat that he couldn't flip us off the blown up ring we were sitting on. And he went absolutely wild with it. And we flipped this thing upside down and it went underwater for a while before flipping back round. And all we were yelling at each other was, hold fast, hold fast. Well, that's the language here, when all the forces seem to be pulling you away from Jesus. And as I said earlier, some of us I know might be on the very beginning of a little journey with Jesus. And actually, there's things that might pull your your hand away. And he's answering how we do that. He's answering how, when life is throwing us around, how we hold on. And the answer, in essence, is this, is that sermons, that's what I'm doing now, a speech in church, a lecture in church, sermons are indispensable, but they are not enough on their own. That church like this is crucial, but it is not sufficient on its own. If we are to hold on through that bouncing journey of life with all of its forces if we're to hold on to Jesus we need each other as well that sermons on their own are indispensable they are vital but they are not enough church is absolutely crucial but it is not sufficient we need each other if we are to hold fast to Jesus after all it's the lone wolf isn't it that starves in winter if it separates itself from its pack. It's a soldier who moves away from its unit, his unit, who the sniper takes out. It's the runner who chooses not to run with the cluster who never reaches her personal best. Or quite famously, some of us will heard this one before, it's the coal that rolls away from the fire which goes out. It's the one that stays close with the others that stays hot and holding on. And the context here, what's been going on, this actually, this thing we call Hebrews is actually a speech, a lecture that was so profound in its input that, that it was written down and preserved. It's a transcript of a talk. And what he's done just before, you can see it in your Bibles, the the paragraph before the one I read, preceding sentence 12, is indented there, isn't it? That's like what Chris did a minute ago. That's when he read from the Bible. He read a rudimentary quote from a place called Psalm 95. And then from sentence 12 all the way through two chapters, 
He is teaching that psalm. And the first bit he says here, the very first thing he wants to drive home of what will be a whole number of things it will teach from that poem, the very first thing is that community matters. We need friends who are Christians. We need family members, if you have family and if they love Jesus, who help you. You need a smaller group that meets midweek. You need CDs or podcasts and books and others around you if you are to keep going. Before we have a look at that ever so slightly more closely, and then I'm going to get very practical today, very hugely practical. I want to talk about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and what we can do to help with this. Before we do, I just want to pause and, and ask a little bit of a question. Because what is the specific threat that he's trying to counter? You know, the specific force that might pull our hands away from Jesus or, or never get our hands to Jesus. What is it? And the answer is, in his language, hardened hearts that refuse to listen to what God says in the Bible. Not, not a problem with ears that can't hear. This morning, I guess all of us can hear what I'm saying, like it or lump it. You don't really have a choice, do you? But, but it's not a problem with our hearing apparatus. It's something inside of us. And I think even today, the language of our heart, it resonates. We know kind of what he means. There's a hardness of heart here. Uh, look, for example, at sentence 12. Do you see the second half there? It says, having sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, don't worry if you don't understand quite the word sinful or unbelieving. They're precise definition. It's like going to the doctor, isn't it? And she says to you, and she quotes some very long word that sounds Latin. You don't understand exactly what that word means, but you think, I don't want to have that, whatever it is. Yeah? Have you ever had that experience? Well, it's the same here. It doesn't matter right now if you don't quite understand the word sinful or unbelieving. We'll explore that in later weeks. But you know you don't want it, don't you? It's a heart problem in here. Or look at sentence 13 towards the end. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Spiritual arteries that are clogged and hard and unresponsive and resistant. Or look at the, the kind of indentated quote in sentence 15. Today, if you hear, your, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The specific problem is not a problem with our hearing apparatus, but is actually when we read this or hear this, could be your first time this morning, you say, I don't, wanna, I don't want to hear it. I'm closed off from it. I'm resistant to it. Let me give you a brain break and illustrate it like this. Uh, some of you know that we recently, well, it's about nine months ago now, we got ourselves a little working cocker spaniel. He, he's just like a nuclear power station of energy on four legs. A little black guy, his name's Buddy, and he is the business. He's absolutely fantastic. And I will um, slightly boastfully say he's reasonably well-trained for an 11-month-old. Thank you, Wendy's agreeing. Wendy's met him. He's often up here in my office. You can come and meet him if, if you're braced for impact, but you can come and meet him. And for an 11-month-old, and if you know about dogs, a working cocker spaniel, you know, they're renowned for needing about you know, 15 miles a day to keep themselves slightly um, contained. He's actually reasonably well-behaved and trained. Uh, I have to say it, we even got our Silver Kennel Cut Award the other day. Thank you very much. Thank you. You won't find any of my degree certificates on the wall at home, but if you come into our kitchen, there is the dog obedience certificate. I even paid two pounds for the rosette. And if you know me, you'll be shocked that I willingly paid for it, okay? But first thing in the morning when we go out, and we normally have an hour or so at the park with some of the boys before they head to school, for the first 15 minutes, he doesn't hear a word I say. Or rather, 
His ears hear it, because I see his head go up and look at me, but his heart doesn't, because he just goes wherever he wants, until that first energy's gone. In fact, sometimes we'll sit opposite each other, about where Stuart is at the back there. You, look, you do look remarkably light, buddy, from this distance there. <laughs> and, and he'll be standing there looking at me, and I'll be here going like this, come here, come here, come here. And he's as responsive as Stuart, yeah? <laughs> and he turns around and runs in the opposite direction. He knows exactly what I'm asking him to do. He just, in that first flush of morning energy, isn't interested in doing what I'm asking him to do. That's what hard hearts are, you see. Does that make sense? It's not that we don't hear what actually God is saying. The, the Bible is not that complicated to understand. The storyline is this. God made you. God loves you. God wants to know you. And he's made that possible through Jesus. A two-year-old gets it. We, we understand it. But it's here is the problem. Jeremiah, who, who writes an earlier part of the Bible, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Let me just throw out again, I did it last week, but let me quickly throw out again four ways that I think might resonate with you if you see yourself in this situation. There's God wanting you to hear his expansive love for you and you're refusing to hear it in the place where you make your decisions. Number one, it may be because you take the approach of dismissing the Bible as old and unsophisticated and therefore having no relevance to the complexities of life today. C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia, he calls that chronological snobbery. Sounds like another one of those doctor's terms, doesn't it? We don't want it, even though we don't quite understand what it means. Or secondly, it's perhaps because we select what we hear from the Bible simply to fit our predetermined direction of travel. Actually, we already have in mind what it is we want to think and believe and do, and, and we'll accept from the Bible or any other source only the things that fit into the picture we have created and dismiss the ones that seem to not quite fit with our predetermined ideas of the world. Or thirdly, maybe it's because we only selectively remember certain aspects of it. As time progresses, we kind of filter out the things that we find a little bit more uncomfortable, costly, or we're not sure about ourselves and are left only remembering what we want to remember. Anyone who works in HR knows the importance of written confirmation of verbal conversations because of that trait. Or fourthly, finally, it's maybe because we blame, or what I've written here, we blame our wilderness experience. What do I mean by that? Well, in the original quote, the part of the Bible he's teaching from a thousand years earlier, there at the end of sentence 15, it says, as you did in the rebellion. That little phrase, rebellion, refers back to a place called Exodus, where the people originally were in this kind of desert wilderness. They were walking around and life was really hard. They weren't settled. Food was hard to come by. Things were difficult. It was grimy and dirty. There wasn't water to wash in. It was a hard life. And they kind of said, well, we don't need to listen to what God is saying because we're excused from that because our life is quite difficult right now. And maybe that's how you think as well. As God speaks to you through the Bible being read and taught, that's the primary way that God speaks. He's done it that way, by the way, so everyone in the world can access his voice. It's not restricted to having to listen to a certain teacher or go to a certain church or speak a certain language. It's in book form so the whole world can access what he's having to say. And we say, actually, I don't need to listen to what he's saying because my life is difficult and I'm excused from that responsibility. So that's a specific problem, this hard heart that, that hears but refuses to hear 
knows exactly what God might be saying, but comes up to the excuses not to hear it. Just another one that pings into my head, and I'll throw it out just in case it's pinged into my head because it's very specific to you, is we don't listen to what the Bible says because we don't understand all of it. So the bits we do understand, we say, well, I don't need to listen to them because I don't have a complete comprehension of the whole. Does that make sense? Well, that's a bit daft, isn't it? That's like not following a doctor's advice because you don't have the same level of information she has and therefore can't understand the diagnosis as fully as she has, so you don't follow the bits you do understand. So let's have a look at this prevention then, this idea of community, this idea of doing it together. This is my summary sentence. When Kevin and I looked at this in the week, I did mock myself slightly because I think my summary sentence is as long as the whole paragraph here in the Bible. Um, This is what my summary sentence is. It's a crucial strategy. Here it is. This is where the rubber hits the road, friends. A crucial strategy to combat the fatal heart hardening we are all genetically predisposed to is Christian friends who constantly encourage us to hold fast. An absolutely crucial Bible-taught strategy to combat the fatal hardening of our spiritual hearts we are all genetically disposed to to end up with is Christian friends and family who constantly encourage us to hold fast. Let's just look at each of those in turn. First of all, that it's Christian friends and family. Look at sentence 12. See to it, brothers and sisters. That's not biological brothers and sisters, not some kind of incestuous church where everyone is related in some degree to someone else. Spiritual brothers and sisters. Those also who, look at sentence 14, share in Christ. Now, at church, and every event we hold at the church, everyone is welcome. Whatever their spiritual adherence or ideas or comprehension, whether they've thought about it or not, of course. But particularly here, when it comes to holding on to, to Jesus, they need to, you need to have Christian friends. You need to have friends who aren't yet Christians as well. That's equally important. But you need to have some close friends or, if you're fortunate enough, family members who are Christian, who share in Jesus, who love Jesus who are there with you all along. As some of you know, I became a Christian. I'd never been into church before, ever. Quite antagonistic against spiritual and religious things. And uh, uh, I was about 20, 21, 22 years old when I first started meeting Christians who weren't weird and wacky and odd and off the wall and flowery and old. And they were actually a bit like me, you know. I was the exact opposite of all of those things, obviously, yeah. Um, And in those early days of exploring who Jesus was and getting fascinated by him, um, there were three other lads, Richard, Ian and Nathan. And the four of us had a little kind of fraternity going on almost through those early years of just encouraging each other and keeping going and don't quit and seeing each other down the bar and just catching each other's eye and going, we're in it together, aren't we? Yeah. Nathan had a habit of winking, which I put a stop to in the bar. I thought that really wasn't... (laughs) wasn't what, what I wanted. And I'm still in contact, particularly with Nathan. He lives in Malaysia now. He's half Malaysian. He and his wife and family live in Malaysia, but we're still in contact. We see them on their yearly visits back and stuff. And then when we moved and um, we lived in Hong Kong for a while, there was a guy called Christian. Some of you have met him because he, he's now in Edinburgh. He's a Dutch guy. He's six foot seven. He's enormous and like a beanpole. He looks like the BFG. And again, we just encouraged each other and helped each other. 
And then when we moved to Shanghai, there was a guy called Rod. And then when we were back in England, there's a guy called Martin. You need Christian friends. Secondly, though, who constantly, constantly, uh, look at sentence 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is it called Tuesday? Is that what it says? You don't know if you haven't got a Bible. That's why we give them away for free. You can take one home today. Encourage each other daily, as long as it is called Sunday? Because you're at church? No, as long as it is called today. So you wake up in the morning, you say, well, I need encouraging today. Oh, there's the answer in the question. What day is it today? It's today. So today I need encouraging. It's pretty unsophisticated, the Bible, isn't it? At least to understand, doing it is much more difficult. Daily, constantly, when it's today, encourage one another. Help others hold on to Jesus. Receive help to hold on to Jesus. See, one or two of us have run a marathon, haven't we? You notice I use inclusive language, so you know I have as well, just so no one misses that. It's way back in my past and certainly not in my future. But when you run a marathon, uh, there's water stations, isn't there? And they come about every five miles, seven miles, something like that. They're like going to church once a week. Vitally important. If you don't take on water regularly, you won't make the finish line. But you only need it about once every five miles in a marathon. But the marathon I got my best time for, by a stretch, actually, was the marathon where I ran shoulder to shoulder every stride of 26.2 miles with a running partner. This is talking not about the going to church, the five-mile water stations. This is talking about the running partner who is alongside you for every step and stride, encouraging you, keeping you going. Hold fast. Come on, hold fast. And they're there, finally, to encourage us to hold fast to Jesus. Now, it's great to go and play golf with friends. And it's great to go watch a film with friends. And it's great you and your wife have date nights. And that is fantastic. That's amazing. And that's wonderful. But none of that is encouraging you to hold fast to Jesus unless there are words involved and actions involved that point to Jesus. And so it needs to be consciously encouraging. And that word encourage literally means what it phonetically sounds like to put courage in. Encourage, to put courage, fortitude, strength into someone when they're starting to feel weak. Do you remember me hanging on to that blow-up tube as it flipped upside down, as it crashed? And we're looking at each other through the salt in eyes and just shouting, hold fast! What's it doing? It's putting strength into fingers that are starting to weaken. That's what it means, to put strength in. So what I want to encourage you today, a very, very specific challenge, I think, is in the next 30 days, the next 30 days, next month, 30 days, is a month, just in case you don't realise. <laughs> Sorry, tautology, isn't it? What I want you to do is to find one way you can receive encouragement to hold to Jesus that is not at this moment in your life cycle, one way to receive it, and one way to give it. One way to receive it, and one way to give it.
Let me throw out some options of things you could do. You could consciously organise to have a coffee with a Christian friend once a month to talk about how each other's doing spiritually. Who doesn't like going to Starbucks? Yeah? And that doesn't have to be all of your conversation. You could talk about other stuff you enjoy as well. But you begin by saying, we've scheduled in an hour for a coffee at Starbucks, at the bean encounter, wherever you want to go, and we're going to talk about how we're doing in Jesus. You could do that. Two, you could buy someone a CD. You could do that this morning. You could buy someone a CD, great songs about Jesus, write them a little note, and send it to them at some point this month. Someone you know needs encouragement, and actually music is great for them. Well, they, they commute long distances, so you know actually listening on the, on the radio in the car would be great. You could do that, couldn't you? I'm just throwing out ideas to be creative. Uh, three, this has helped Hannah and I a lot recently, is you could buy one of those little flip calendars, which on each day has a Bible verse, just one Bible verse. We stick it in front of our TV. We don't get to watch TV every night, but the nights we do, it's right there in front of the TV, and at least the guilt makes us pray together because you can't move it out the way to watch the TV. And if you pick it up, you're kind of like, hey, did you know pastors are real, like everyone else? Yeah. But you could do that, couldn't you? If you're married, or you live with someone who's a Christian, or even not a Christian. Praying is a great thing to do if you're not yet a Christian. You could um, buy some of our awesome notes that help you read the Bible each day or a few times a week at home for 15 minutes and you could pass them on to someone with a little note in the front and say I just got got this for you I find it really helpful we've got a three or four different kind of options you could look at to see what fits you better um, you could uh, this is fantastic you could get this one it's called the word one-to-one there's two books in one there two little thin that it's designed so when you meet for that coffee with a friend you can open up the Bible together and understand what it says it's a real easy help if you've never done that before. And you could be a Christian 40 years and not really quite know how to do that. It's got all the answers you need, a crib sheet, if you like. You could do that with someone, couldn't you? Um, if you have children, uh, you could start um, at mealtimes, uh, looking at the Bible together with your kids. One little trick that I recommend is you let the kids eat food, because otherwise they're really grumpy and grouchy, but they don't get dessert until you've had a look at this. It's amazingly good motivator. Yeah. depending on what dessert is, obviously. So there's that. So there's all sorts of ways to be creative. To, at some point in the next 30 days, commit to find a way that you will receive encouragement that you're not getting, and a way you can give encouragement to someone. Now, not all of us obviously have come with someone this morning, or know anyone here this morning, but if you do and if you feel able, I'd love for you to turn the person who you're sort of sitting with, or in a three, or in a four, or something like that. Uh, maybe it's a chance to meet someone you've never met. I'd like for you just to turn to them. If you feel able to do this, if you don't, pretend you're praying. We'll understand. <laughs> and we'll be very impressed. We'll be very impressed. Just don't start snoring. That gives it away. But turn to someone near you and, and, and say, what sprung into your head? Who could you encourage in the next 30 days, and how might you do that? And how could you receive encouragement? This is just nitty-gritty every day, isn't it? <laughs> Daily, find encouragement from Christians, brothers and sisters to hold fast so your heart doesn't harden. Go on, you've only got three minutes. You, and I know how much you love talking. So turn, turn to someone, be brave. If it's not your thing, just make, you know, it's fine. Have a chat. How are you going to encourage? Okay.